Welcome back to Is It Horror? This is Season 2, Episode 27. I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm confused about whether this is Episode 20 or Episode 27. That's fair. <laughs> I'm Mitt. <laughs> <laughs> and I am Steve. If you haven't joined us before, each episode we analyze a piece of media, usually a movie, whose horror status is debatable. We look at the creator's intent, audience reception, and the content of the media, all in an effort to better define the horror genre. If you agree with our take, that's awesome. If you don't, that's awesome too. Horror is a diverse genre, and all are welcome. And uh, in answer to our good friend Matt's question, we're covering the movie 7, but this is episode 20. But before we get into the movie... We will go to Joe's Get to Know You Corner. Joe? Okay, um, so today we're talking about Seven. Uh, I, I'll be honest, I struggled with coming up with an appropriate uh, Get to Know You question for this. My first thought was, what of the Seven Deadly Sins uh, you most identified with? But maybe that's too personal a question. Uh, so some, uh, I thought maybe we could kind of do... Uh, Choose your own adventure style. Um, I have a few questions. Answer what you want. Um, so if you want to answer that question, that's awesome. But also, what's your favorite buddy cop movie? Or uh, what's your favorite Morgan Freeman or uh, Brad Pitt movie? Well, I think I'm going to go with the favorite Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt movie. Um, so for Morgan Freeman, uh, for me, nothing beats Shawshank Redemption if we are excluding today's movie seven, which is a close second, but come on. Shawshank was originally based on a story, uh, written by Stephen King. It was masterfully executed, 10 stars, absolutely joyful film. Well, I mean, it's kind of sad, but still great film. Um, and for Brad Pitt, uh, I think probably one of my favorite roles for him specifically, I mean, I did like him in Fight Club, but has anybody seen the moon, the movie California, California with a K? If you have not, you need to go and like watch it immediately. Um, Brad Pitt, spoiler alert, does not play a very good guy, and he was amazing. Interesting. I hadn't even heard of that one. I'll have to check it out. It is early 90s goodness. Go get it. And it's got Agent Mulder in it, too. Bonus. Oh, nice. Cool. All right. Uh, well, for me, I guess... Uh, not getting too in-depth, but if I had to identify with some of the sins, it'd probably be something around the slothful or maybe lustful, I suppose. <laughs> uh, but uh, favorite buddy cop movie, uh, I'd have to go with Hot Fuzz. Uh, we, uh, I, I've, you know, I, I've always liked that movie since it first came out. It's a fun time and also kind of on the, like, horror side depending on your viewpoint check out our episode on that if you feel you want to know more about our thoughts on it um but yeah i've i've always thought it was a fun ride no matter what genre you want to classify it as for me i was gonna say i mean we already said shawshank redemption for morgan freeman which i think is really obvious as being a great piece of morgan freeman related uh media but uh, for my favorite Brad Pitt movie, I would probably say that I really liked Ocean's Eleven. And I don't know if that was more because I liked it as a kid and so it has nostalgia because I remember liking it a lot and seeing it with my friends in the theaters. Uh, but I really liked that movie and I just thought that everybody... It's one of those few movies where they 
threw a lot of big name stars at it and it was good and the dynamic was good between all of them and it wasn't just like we have a big budget and swinging your budget around so i really like that movie um my favorite morgan freeman movie is shawshank redemption um for brad pitt i don't i haven't seen that many brad pitt movies but i'd have to say interview with the vampires probably one of my favorite ones um i just like fantasy and that's a good combo of fantasy horror whatever you want to call it as for the deadly sins i am probably probably gluttony big big snack fan big candy fan (laughs) i guess for me it's just trying to dissect all that thinking about what movies i like best of theirs and i think it's i don't know i'm pretty basic in that way i guess just for morgan freeman still shawshank redemption although i did enjoy red although he wasn't necessarily super highlighted in that one and then for brad pitt yeah it's probably fight club but i remember really liking a river runs through it growing up Um, that was probably my first introduction to him as an actor so i think i don't know those are probably my favorites of them um and then as far as the seven deadly sins i i'm not sure probably Probably sloth, but I don't know. As a ADD-diagnosed kid in the 90s, you get labeled as lazy all the time, so that might be more like self-flagellation than anything. I don't know. Well, cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. Thanks for all your opinions. And uh, yeah, it seems like uh, Shawshank Redemption seems to be a favorite of um, most of us, so that's kind of fun. All right, well, as far as the movie today that we were talking about, we were talking about Seven from 1995. It was originally written as kind of a spec script by Andrew Kevin Walker. He had previously worked on, uh, well, not previously, but he's also worked on the films uh, Sleepy Hollow, Windfall, and Brain Scan. And uh, also he did a lot of uncredited script doctoring, uh, particularly on Event Horizon was one that stood out to me. So we've done an episode on that in the past. Check that out. And also script doctoring on Fight Club. And uh, as far as Seven goes itself and his writing of it, um, he basically said that he wrote the script at least partially as a reaction to moving from Pennsylvania to New York City. And he was kind of a bit shocked by the experience. And a lot of that comes through in the script in the way that uh, Tracy her reactions to moving into the unnamed city of seven are. So at least that's part of where he was coming from there with the idea of like, okay, seeing all these seven deadly sins at work and just kind of being a a bit aghast at the city and the experience. Then of course the director for seven is David Fincher. Uh, This was his second feature length film. His first one was alien three, which famously had just a ton of studio interruption problems they just had a lot of issues with what he was doing and so you know when you watch alien 3 there's the theatrical cut but then there's also the assembly cut which is kind of more like what he had originally worked on before the studio kind of got a hold of it but he had previously done a lot of music videos and even did basically kind of went back to doing music videos after alien 3 and really had no desire to do another 
feature-length film until he ended up reading the script by Andrew Kevin Walker and really being drawn in by it and deciding that he wanted to work on it again. And in some ways, filmmaking history happened right there because just think of all the movies that we wouldn't have gotten because other movies that David Fincher worked on after that point were things like Fight Club, The Social Network, Zodiac, Gone Girl. Um, so, uh, and then Andrew Kevin Walker and David Fincher do have an upcoming collaboration on a movie called The Killer, which I guess is going to star Michael Fassbender and is based on a comic that I am unfortunately not familiar with. And then, uh, the back of the box description for seven is two cops track a brilliant and elusive killer who orchestrates a string of horrific murders, each kill targeting a practitioner of one of the seven deadly sins. So as far as some quotes we have here from the creative team that were working on this film behind the scenes, we have some quotes from the DVD commentary for Seven. So David Fincher, he had said of this movie, so he was, um, he was talking about the fact that they had an original introduction that they were going to do for the movie that was going to involve Morgan Freeman kind of looking at uh, this farmhouse that he was going to go to, but they decided not to go that route, so they had to change things up. So that's kind of what he's referencing here in this quote. So what he said was, that's when we decided to inject dough somewhere into the first reel. If we could do it under the titles, at least we could kind of get people, we could do something a little bit disturbing, a little unsettling, that would tide them over until, of course, we got to the gluttony murder, rattle their cages a little bit. So end quote there. But part of the reason that I wanted to reference that was at least that was partially what he was thinking about when doing the movie is the idea of unsettling the audience, um, disturbing the audience. Obviously those are some goals that he wanted to rattle people a little bit with the movie. I mean, that's even further evidence just by looking at the way they chose to end it. But the other thing I think that's worth noting in that too, is the kind of language he's using the idea of tiding the audience over until the gluttony murder. I think that's something that you end up having a lot happening in modern horror these days with the idea that we've got to get to some blood, we've got to get to a kill early on so we don't lose the audience. So while he's not specifically pointing out a genre, in some ways the language that he's using to describe the film and some of the goals of the film and the way that he expected the audience to interact with the film feel like a director talking about a horror movie. At least that's how it rings through to me. Another quote we have is from Brad Pitt. He's talking about the chase sequence that he has in the middle of the film where he is chasing after John Doe. And he's describing the filming of it and how it came together. And he says, it's a sloppy chase. It's messy. It's confusing. It's frightening. Just exactly how I think it would go down. Now here you start to see the true love for the French connection and these types of films of the 70s. That was one of our first conversations, Fincher and I, about this love for the 70s films and like the French connection and so forth. So for those that aren't familiar, and I haven't seen the French connection myself, but uh, so this end quote there. But anyway, so the French connection is a classic neo-noir film. I guess it's one that people bring up a lot within that subgenre. And Seven also specifically name checks Serpico, which is another 1970s era neo-noir film starring Al Pacino. So at least him and Fincher had had several conversations about some of the inspiration for this film being neo-noir movement of film. And that's generally typified by, you know, just a cynical attitude and usually dark plot ideas. That's where noir comes from anyway. And so... Um, at least from that quote, you get the idea that, yeah, there's some 
noir influences here, which you can definitely see throughout the course of the film. As far as meta tags go, uh, we have nine sites calling this crime film, eight calling it a thriller, five calling it a mystery, five calling it drama, two calling it suspense, and then one calling it noir, one calling it horror, one calling it legal, and one calling it action. Um, all right, and then I didn't necessarily see any sort of... Uh, increased searches for this film during October, which would normally be a possible indicator that this would be looked at as a horror film, but uh, so no real pattern there. So what did everybody think? Is this a horror film or not a horror film? Uh, this is one of my favorite movies, and I'm willing to call this horror. I can see that. I feel like it has a lot of those elements for me. Uh, it didn't, it didn't add up to that for me. I, I'd put it more in the noir, like suspense area, but, uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't see it as horror. Um, I'm kind of still on the fence about it, but I f am leaning horror. I might be convinced otherwise by the conversation. This one was hard for me as well, but I came to the conclusion that it is horror and I will plead my case later. So this one was real close, and I might change my mind on it as well, as I've already kind of said a few times here, but uh, I think that ultimately I decided this was not horror. Mitz and I are going to wear you down. Okay, so starting things off for us here, we discussed in the Silence of the Lambs episode most recently how the focus of a film being on the police investigation rather than the killer's perspective can kind of shift a film away from the horror genre. So how did that focus in Seven affect your classification? So this movie does start out with kind of the gritty neo-noir buddy cop themes going on. Uh, but I feel like that relationship and, and that um, uh, focus on the procedural element, it's kind of the backdrop for the murders themselves. Whereas in an actual buddy cop or a procedural, it's all about the, the casework. Like it's all about, you know, the cops being the heroes and they will save the day and all will go well. And I would really classify this film in particular as like the gold standard of what I call procedural horror because this is something that really focuses more on the depravity and the sadism of the crimes and you know the potential insanity of you know the perpetrator of these crimes and even though I think I missed the Silence of the Lambs episode which you know boo hiss um, I would actually probably classify that as procedural horror as well so spoiler alert um, so are things like Dexter like that's a new circle that I'm putting on the Venn diagram as of today you heard it here first I think my my reaction ended up being a little a little different because I felt like there maybe wasn't enough focus on the crimes themselves uh, for me, like they kind of allude to it, but or not allude. I mean, it's very much there. I don't mean I I just feel like, you know, they never really sh actually show you the crimes themselves for the most part. So I don't know. I guess I maybe had a different reaction. Yeah, I think this is one of the things that made it hard for me to decide if I thought this was horror or not. Because 
generally, when I think of police procedurals, I don't think that they're horror because of this very reason. Um, it's uh, the police are pursuing the killer rather than vice versa, which we normally see in horror movies is the protagonist being pursued by the killer. Um, so this actually made it hard for me to decide. So I can't really, I can't really say either way. Cause this, this would be something pushing me to the other side of not horror. For me, I feel like this had like almost all the elements of your standard, like police procedural movie. The thing that I was really on the fence about, and I, well, I, I talked a little bit about this with Miss because we watched it together, but is that you don't actually, you see the aftermath of the murders, but you don't see the murders taking place, like, as they're happening. Like, you actually don't see the killer's perspective as these things are happening or see the chase of it. You just always see the aftermath. So that's kind of one of the things that that maybe makes it not feel like horror to me as much. I would argue that it's a different type of horror because if we're going back to more classic noir films, like in the horror genre, like look at things like Psycho. We never actually see the killer, you know, apart from that first stabbing, do anything. And it's still one of the classic horror films. Well, we, we, in Psycho, though, we do see both of the, both of the murders that take place do happen on film, though. I, we, I mean, in this case, we never see Doe do anything to anyone, though. I think there's still a sufficient amount of gore and body horror in this, even though we're not necessarily witnessing the action of the murder. Like, just the opening scene itself, like, you could smell that place. I don't know about y'all, but I sure could. To me, that, it's a different kind of horror. You're not, seeing the aftermath sometimes, for me anyway, is almost worse because it leaves that that option for imagination. Like, you can kind of hear the echoes of their screams as they're being tortured. Like, that's that's kind of where the dark corners of my mind go when I see things like this where they're not actually showing the action, but you see everything else. Yeah, and that's exactly why I said it was... That's exactly why I finally came to the conclusion that it is horror. Because, to me, it is too gory and too... um, There's too much body horror for it to not be horror. I don't think those things can fall under any other umbrella, including suspense and mystery. I think when you have that much uh, focus on the just act... Just the horrific killings, the brutal killings of these people in ways that are completely inhumane, I think you can't really categorize that as just suspense or just mystery. Yeah, I think when when the focus is on the torture and the pain, I think that kind of pushes it, like you said, into that horror arena. I can understand where you're coming from in terms of what we're told happened to the victims. But at the same time, too, I guess the other thing that I feel like makes this film feel not like horror to me is that it spends a lot of time in the case of the murderous telling rather than showing. We never meet any of the victims while they're alive, except for a uh, spoiler alert already, I guess, if you hadn't figured that out. Sorry. But anyway, we never meet any of the victims alive except for 
Gwyneth Paltrow. And we're never present for any of the murder sequences. We find each of these people after they're already dead. And more often than not, the visuals that were given is kind of kept a little bit at a distance. And it depends for, for each killing. It's a little bit different. We are there in the sequ- we're there at the crime scene for gluttony, but we are never shown anything but photographs for the crime scene of greed. Um, we're there in the crime scene for lust, but we're kept at a distance, like she's back behind things and we're shown kind of photographs later. So I feel like there's just this intentional disconnect from what we're actually shown happen to these people and that's at least part of, I guess, why I went that direction with the feeling like it gets close. It's definitely horrific things that are happening to people, but I feel like Fincher specifically doesn't want us to focus as much on the violence, or at least tried not to focus as much on the violence. I guess that's kind of where I came at it from that, at least. See, I think the violence is what makes this movie seven. You know what I mean? I don't think if the crimes were as violent, it would really have the same effect. I mean, if we saw these folks getting killed, it just would have been Saw. Like, pre-Saw. That's exactly what yeah. I said. <laughs> because that's just straight-up gore porn in terms of horror. And that, like, that's its own thing, and it's got its place. But this is more... This is psychological horror for me. Like, this, this got in my head. The first time that I saw this movie, I was incredibly freaked out. Because, you know, at the time I was a teenager, but, like, this seemed totally plausible to me, you know, as a small town kid and imagining what a city is like and, like, all the dangers that, you know, come along with the urban landscape. Like, this really got under my skin and and more so than just, like, your standard thriller, you know, whatever, happy ending, hero goes home with his wife. Like, this really freaked me out. So this was the first time I've seen it. So I, I don't know. I probably came at it with a little bit more of a I don't know jaded perspective but I I see what you're saying like I get it because like this was a very disturbing movie and um I guess for me it was like I I guess I had to like kind of ask myself act sorry I guess I had to kind of ask myself like okay can it be disturbing and not horror and I kind of came to the conclusion for me personally, at least that, yes, it could be. But uh, like I kind of said in the beginning, like I I totally get coming to a different conclusion on that because, yeah, this this was far more disturbing than a lot of horror movies than I've seen. I think sometimes, I guess for me, when I'm trying to categorize these movies, I try to imagine myself not as myself watching it like a... 20-something-year-old, uh, like, horror fan. And I try to imagine my mom watching it. And, or just, you know, any average person scrolling through Netflix or whatever and clicking on a movie. If I were tagging movies for that person, would I put horror in the tags? And for this one, absolutely. I think it's way too yeah. disturbing not to. Yeah, I agree. This isn't like a a movie you would put on for family movie night. Do you know what I'm saying? Like this is a little deeper and darker than most. For sure. So let's dig into that a little bit. Uh, Ultimately, this is a very dark film with a very cynical philosophy expressed through both the detectives and the killer. There's 
these are also staples, though, of the neo-noir genre, the cynicism and kind of dark philosophy, dark atmosphere. However, horror, horror can also be very dark and very cynical. So is the darkness and cynicism here horror or neo-noir? And kind of what do you feel the difference would be? I think this is a pretty good marriage of both horror and neo-noir. Um, you know, we do have an empathy for the buddy cop duo. We do have empathy for, you know, um, Tracy, the, the wife character. And we do develop an attachment to them as you would need to do in like a neo-noir because for me, neo-noir, especially 90s neo-noir is all about... It's kind of just about how much life can suck sometimes, but it makes you empathize with the character in a very gritty way. Um, but again, I really think that the the special effects, the gore, the aftermath that we saw, the themes that we were dealing with here, um, and even just the whole tone of the film and the the cinematography, the way that this was shot, everything just had like this very heavy, oppressive tension building thing to it so i think it's both um those would be the differences for me i really liked um morgan freeman's um performance in this and he played a very good neo-noir detective for me like i could see like a kind of comic book version and it made me think of like i mean i'm not up on a lot of those kind of detective things so like what sprung to my mind was uh <laughs> was like the Calvin and Hobbes tracer bullet. It's like, yeah, that's me, tracer bullet. I've got eight slugs in me, one lead, one's lead, and the rest are bourbon. The drink packs a wallop, and I pack a re revolver. I'm a private eye. But so, like, I don't know. He, uh, anyways, like, he just had that same sort of like attitude about everything. It was just like this sort of negative, cynical, like you said, Steve, approach to everything he was doing. Um, and, you know, Brad Pitt's character comes in and he kind of like gets revitalized in his approach to everything. Um, and so you get into that kind of buddy cop area. And I felt like at least for part of, for a good amount of the movie, that was kind of the focus. And not to say that, uh, that the darkness in it, the neo-noir darkness in it isn't, isn't like lighter than the horror darkness, I guess. Um, I don't know. Sorry, I'm kind of babbling about it a little bit, but uh, I just, uh, I guess I, I think it for me it just leaned a little more on the noir and not as quite as much on the horror. I agree that the cynicism, for me, is more leans towards the noir. Um, I loved how this movie did it too. I love the brassy music of noir. It's like my favorite part of it. Um. But I do think that uh, the crime scenes and also just some of the lighting and some of the other scenes was supposed to evoke that kind of like gross out horror that some other movies have. Like I always think of Texas Chainsaw Massacre with its like weird yellow color scheme. This one has like a weird dirty gray color scheme, which I think adds to the horror of it. And I think that's a crossover of both genres. Yeah, I was going to say the same. Everything has like that dirty, gritty feel, which I guess could also uh, be related to noir in a way. But it definitely felt like, especially the scene, the crime scene for Gluttony, it felt like looking at a 
at Bubba's basement in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Like it felt like that. So that that is definitely something that I feel is a horror element of the film. What sequence would you say felt the most like horror in the film? Oh, definitely sloth. The first time that I realized that that victim was still alive, my stomach absolutely turned. Um, also, one of the best jump scares I've seen in a long, long time. It still holds up. Um, and those were actually, that was actually an actor. That was not an animatronic or, or anything like that. Like, that was all practical makeup effects. And it was, I mean, it, it looking back at it now, it reminds me of the type of makeup you'd see on something like The Walking Dead, like, you know, straight up zombie movies. And it feels like very evocative of that for me. So I think that was probably the most horror. I'm right there with you on that. That was the most like horror for me, too. And, you know, it's the it's maybe the most we see like in real life, in real time of the crimes uh, so I think that's part of what hit it for me too. Like we see the effect directly on the victim and it's not just a picture. It's not just a, a blurry in the background, something going on. It's, we see it up close and personal. Yeah. And we even, they even let us see like the progression. Like we did kind of get to see it in this weird, like reverse flip book with the Polaroids that they show you of that victim. It just, I don't know, it worked for me. It was a total gross-out factor. As I was thinking about the this question and the movie, I was thinking about what that scene would have been like between Kevin Spacey and Gwyneth Paltrow. You know, he describes what happened to Brad Pitt, but I was thinking, if we had gotten to see that scene on screen between them, knowing you know, who Kevin Spacey is, I feel like that would have definitely put it out of my mind, whether it was horror or not. You know what I mean? Like, having that described to you creates a lot of tension, but having, if you would see that on screen, I feel like that would have been the most horror scene in the whole movie. Even just showing her head would have been like, that really would have added to it. I believe that I read somewhere that they did actually do, a, a, I guess, like a, a cast or something of the actress's face. Um, and then they wound up not using it, but they used it in a movie that she was in, like, many years later. I had seen that, too. Yeah. I just still think that, that what makes this movie special is that it didn't show me the things, and it still creeped me out enough. Like, even just the verbal descriptions and, like... John Doe's very vague about his interaction with Tracy and how that actually went about. Like, it it really just builds the tension of, like, oh, my God, what did he do to her? Oh, my God, she's pregnant. Oh, my God. Oh, my God, what's in the box? So I guess kind of getting into that next, um, as, as I mentioned, we don't see any of John Doe's victims while they're alive, ex or we don't see their actual demise. Um, we only meet Tracy while she's alive as far as the victims go. Obviously, it's a little bit different with Sloth because they're kind of brain dead when we meet them, despite being physically alive. But uh, we never see sequences of the victims being stalked, being attacked by John Doe. 
So how does that lack of focus on the victim's experience affect your classification? I mean, I agree, at least for me anyway, as kind of been stated, if I'd seen them alive, seen them stalked by John Doe, to me, that would have made this 100% no question horror. But without that, where does that, how did that affect how you looked at the film? It did have a big effect on me. Uh, I, th- I think if they would have shown it, then I w- it would have been right there for me. It would have been horror uh but because it was you know most most everything was just described it was a tell don't show like i can see i can see the uh argument for this being psychological horror because of that because you have to build that in your head um and that's pretty horrific and that's definitely possibly horror um but it uh because it didn't show you i guess that's why i ended up saying not horror I don't understand you not horror folks. There is a knife dildo involved in here. Like Silence of the Lambs got nothing on that. I almost feel like that scene with the knife dildo was taken away from by how ludicrous the guy's like screaming and reaction to the whole thing was. Like it to me it it almost like like I thought about it. I thought how horrific it was, but I feel like that maybe that choice for the performance of how he reacted to it was like so over the top that it didn't feel as bad to me i think that actor took kind of a method approach to his character and he probably hadn't slept in a few days so i forgive him i guess i thought his performance was really good like he just seemed like so rattled and freaked out he was like unhinged yeah i I don't know how any of us would react to having been forced to do something like that, but I guess to me anyway, it, his performance worked for me, I guess. Yeah, to me it added to the horror because, I don't know, just, I don't know, just even like listening to him do his little rant or whatever, and just thinking about it now even makes my stomach turn. I liked how they switched back and forth between the two folks that they were interviewing in that scene. Um, shout out for uh, Michael Massey appearing as the uh, massage parlor booth guy because he was fun boy in The Crow, which I'm also willing to argue is horror, but I digress. I'm going to shift gears a little bit on this because we're talking about it, so we'll get into it a little bit more straight on. Um, how impactful to you was the violence and gore as it was portrayed in this movie? It sounds like pretty high for most of us. Yep, yeah, I'm going to go with uh, it's pretty much up there at an 11 for me for this one, especially for the, the time period in which this came out. 1995, we weren't seeing a lot of horror like this, especially not with mainstream actors. Um, a couple of you know other folks were considered for these lead roles um, of both Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt. And they actually turned it down because a lot of them thought that, like, it was going to be too dark. It's, you know, it's it's too taboo. And for, for its time, this was super impactful. Um, for me, the gore definitely uh, pushed it over to horror. I think, I think that if this had been your classic noir with, you know, you've got a killer. He, ki- he kills everyone in the same way, slashes their throat or whatever, and leaves a calling card. And we were just seeing the cops go around to these victims to this 
you know, cut and dry crime, I don't think it would be horror. I think it's the, the brutality of the crimes that makes it horror. If you just had a regular slasher who was going around killing people, and then we got to see the police procedural of that, I don't think it would be horror. And also, we're going to do the happy ending check here. Like, this has a really unhappy ending, and that also cemented this as horror for me as well. I feel like if it was straight-up noir, there would have been not a hopeful or happy ending, but at least the good guys would have won. I don't think the good guys won. I think John Doe won. Yeah, honestly, I feel like if you take away the gore from this movie, it's definitely not horror, in my opinion. So I... I think that, uh, that yeah, that definitely plays a big role in putting it into that horror category. So, I don't know, maybe this is going to be a weird take on this, but I feel like I have a maybe a, a kind of weird perspective on this movie because, I th- like I said, this is the first time I'd seen it, but I knew a lot about it, and I've known and I've talked with people who've seen it, and I didn't like there weren't really any surprises for me in this movie. Like I, I knew what was in the box. I knew about all the th- disturbing things that were coming in the movie because I'd heard people talk about it. So that being said, like I was prepared to be disturbed by this movie, and I still was. Um, but I ended up being a little surprised by the lack of the direct violence. Like, I mean, we don't actually see what's in the box. We don't see her head. And yeah, the like knife dildo is maybe one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. Like, you know, it's way above anything in like, I guess what I feel like are, you know, in the like saw movies or things like that, where, you know, people are putting into these traps or things, but like, that guy being forced to do what he had to do with that um, knife dildo is like, that's probably, probably the most disturbing thing I've, I can think of at least on film that I've personally seen. Um, But again, I was a little surprised at the lack of blood and violence that you directly see. So I don't know, maybe that's a weird take on it. I guess I would have a tendency to, agree with that take. I do have a quote here from David Fincher on it, whether you agree or don't agree, but so here's what he had to say, at least about his approach to violence in this film. All right. So he said, I knew that the film did not want to deal with a lot of violence sort of head on that. We wanted to sort of catch things in kind of the periphery of our headlights. And one of the things that was that made it possible for us to edit the violence was that you would sort of see the violence one step removed. That is, you would see, you would hear people talking about it, or you would see photographs of the aftermath, or you would see, you would ostensibly see photographs of photographs of the aftermath. So that by kind of putting these different, you know, layers of the onion in between us and the actual act, that I could still keep the people's interest without having to really, you know, the black and white remove the shock of the red. The, um, it also sort of made everything seem sort of real and kind of mundane. You know, it sort of treated the murders in a very sort of, I mean, this is not information that's being art directed for you. It's just recorded. And here it was. It was clinical. It was kind, it kind of dealt with the violence in a clinical fashion. End quote. So I guess, what would your reaction be to that? Do you feel like he achieved that goal? Do you feel like it didn't blunt anything at all? What do you think? 
I mean, I do think it was clinical in the way that it was presented, but I also think that that opens up the lens to see the horrors that cops go through probably on a regular basis. So, I, I don't know. I don't know if it changes my opinion. I don't think that it makes it any less horror. I think it's kind of, it's almost a horror trope that you don't see the killer, that the killer doesn't actually have that much screen time in movies. Um, but the screen time that they do have is where it counts. So I feel like, at least in that regard, this movie was following sort of the same guidelines as other horror in that way. It's kind of like, uh, like your imagination can be more wild than what it actually, what, than what you actually see. So like just the way they present the information, they show you a knife dildo. They don't show you it used, but you, your imagination can run wild with that. And they don't show you a head in the box. They don't, you know, you have John Doe saying what he did, but you don't know what he actually did to Tracy. Uh, and so your imagination is left left to fill in all the blanks and fill in all the dead spaces of those ideas. And that that can be horror. I can absolutely see that. I guess that's kind of my next question to everybody that you sort of answered there is, is it more horrific letting you imagine what happened to everyone in this film rather than showing you? Is his attempt to back it off in some ways actually make it worse? I think that it can. I think that allowing that little bit of distance and letting the imagination take over and kind of fill in the gaps that the the material leaves, it, in this movie anyway, it is more effective. Because if you think about it, when you watch a movie that is super consistently gory, super consistently visually violent, you really get desensitized to it after 90 minutes, like to an extent. Like, for example, you'll be watching, let's say, a classic slasher film, and you'll see the cute blonde with the ponytail swinging walk into the camp cabin. You know she's going to get knifed. Like, that's just, you kind of expect it. With this, it kind of kept you guessing, and that made it more horrific for me. It made it worse to just see, you know, the grainy Polaroids in the cop's hand and to see the aftermath, like... I'm telling you, I could smell some of those sets that they had. It was really gross. I think, for me anyway, a big part of what made this feel different, and again, it's one of those things I'm still kind of on the fence about, I suppose, is it is, I think your mind can come up with something that's always going to be worse than actually seeing what's happening. So I do think that this movie to great effect, tells you what happened rather than shows you, and that does lead you to imagine more. I remember, too, at the time that this movie came out, people talking about, for instance, the lust death sequence with the strap-on knife there. And hearing people talk about it, you would think that they showed full on the entire sequence happening. And I think you get a little bit of the Mandela effect with this movie where if people only saw it once or saw it years ago, they think that you do see the head in the box or they think that you do see the, the sex toy for violence there in person and stuff like that because it sticks out so much in your mind that after a while you assume you must have seen it. Uh, but on the other side of that, I think the fact that you don't really get a feel for who any of these people were other than just in the very general sense of it 
also changes things. I don't know. I guess it just, I don't think that this film needed to show the victims to better give their experience. I think it's just that lack of humanization for most of the people that died that makes it a little bit harder, which brings, I guess, for me back to David Fincher's quote of the idea of it being clinical. And that maybe more than anything makes it a bit clinical. It's like you don't you don't even get to spend any time with these people, which is kind of weird because, you know, you watch a slasher movie, particularly kind of the 80s style slasher films where a lot of the characters that you deal with are just caricatures, right? Like they're, they're barely real people. They don't really have any sort of soul to them. They're just kind of there to be cut up. And you do spend time with them before they get cut up. And some of them in horrific ways equal to some of the things described here, but be... But it's less impactful because you sort of know they're supposed to die and they're kind of engineered to die. Whereas this movie, I know it wants to take time developing its characters, so it's kind of like you deal with it on those terms. It feels like the real world because they're trying to have it be the real world. So if you did meet these people, you know you'd feel for them, you'd care about them, they would matter a lot. And then watching these things happen to them would be unbearable. Um, So that he's shying away from that i guess at least impacted somewhat how i saw it even though i'm still very on the fence about this film something that came to mind with this film um and work with me here uh spoilers if you haven't seen the movie the batman with robert pattinson but part of the thing that for me relates to that movie is because once you actually know who the riddler is or who Edward Nigma is in that film like it becomes like a lot less like I felt way less invested once I just knew that it was this guy and I could see him you know what I mean and so I do think that there's something to be said about the imagination um being sort of worse than seeing the things but to also differ from that I think that Kevin Spacey does a better job at feeling frightening, feeling, making you feel uncomfortable uh, in this film. Maybe that's not what they were going for with Edward Nigma and the Batman, but yeah, so there's like a, a little from column A, a little from column B. The imagination that this film lets you go with all contributes to the horror, but also once you do finally meet Kevin Spacey and have a conversation, I feel like he lives up to your imagination in a way. This isn't really like going to be what this some of this conversation is making me think about is the evil dead, um, the evil dead rise episode we did. And one of the things we talked about in that was uh, that like in a evil dead movie, a lot of times they hint at something and they're like, you know, look at this thing. And then they do, and at least for me in those instances, I was kind of often like, oh, they're not going to show that. At least when I, the first couple of Evil Dead movies that I saw, like, they're not going to show that. They're not going to show that. Oh my goodness, they showed that. Like, they showed that terrible thing. And this movie um, kind of kind of had that same idea, but definitely veered away instead of showing you just let you think about it. You know, I'm not really getting anywhere at that point. I just a random bit of thing that I was thinking about with this, with that question. 
I thought it was funny that you mentioned the Mandela effect, Steve, because I, this is the second time watching this movie for me. I watched it like six years ago or maybe seven, (laughs) Um, but I totally was expecting to see Tracy's head in the box. Like in my head, I had seen that already. Like for some reason that happened in the movie for me, but then I watched it again this week and nope, there was no head. I was wrong. So it's funny how your imagination makes things scarier than... I feel like your imagination really can create things more horrible than than can really happen. All right, to take this slightly different direction, this isn't something that I'd written down, but just thinking about as we're discussing it, is... So say we're watching a standard slasher movie. Something ridiculous, over-the-top happens to a character. You know, they get... I don't know gardening shears to the face or something like that that happens then they're dead and that's it and then it's it's over and we don't have to think about it anymore but one of the things that this movie does is despite maybe not showing the events happening is that we have to analyze it and we have to analyze it and we have to talk about it and we have to spend time thinking about it so yes we're not there for the act itself but the movie forces us to continue to analyze and think about the act and dissect the act. So does that make a difference in the way it's portrayed? Because maybe you're, like I said, you're not there for it, but the movie forces you to keep thinking about it and revisiting it. It's just constant psychological re-exposure and like traumatization. And even though it's not something that happens on the screen, you, you're you on to something here, Steve. I think you really hit the nail on the head with that. Because for me, that's why this movie is scary, exactly what you just said. So thanks. Happy to help. Yeah, I totally agree with that. The thought of the knife dildo thing is like so much worse. Like, I don't think that they could have, they could or would have shown that on screen. But just having to think about it is real bad. Definitely one of the more horrific uh, visuals that the movie kind of paints. See, for me, like, I feel like the worst death is the the year-long overdose that that guy had to yep. endure that turned him into a zombie. Yep. And he, he amputated, he amputated the dude's arm at home just so he could freeze his hand and use it for fingerprints. That's horrific. Yeah, but the guy was, like, so, like, fucked up out of his mind, too that like it is awful to think about but i think it was uh like he probably wasn't feeling a lot of uh, at least My obviously dude, he ate his own tongue obviously it's sub- subjective right but for me the knife dildo feels worse but i can understand how the overdose guy would feel bad for others so i think it's fair to say that we would all say that this movie's disturbing i guess feel free to tell me if you feel otherwise but do you feel like a movie being disturbing automatically equates with horror or can a movie be disturbing and still not be horror? It can be disturbing and still not be horror, but I think that this is a movie that could, you know, make you carry the fear that develops and sustains during the viewing of this and you take it into the real world. Like this movie is commentary on 
fear of other people, the fear of, you know, there's these methodical predators out there and the whole serial killer thing. And sometimes they have motivation and sometimes they don't. And it's just when there's a little bit of a real life element to the possibility of this type of thing happening or occurring, or, you know, maybe it's going on now in an investigation, like that's what gets me every single time. I kind of said my bit about it already, but yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't feel like disturbing equals horror. And from, I struggle with this question in um, regards to this movie because I definitely see both sides to it. I guess just for me, this movie is far more disturbing to me than it is horror. And that just, I guess, out, outweighs the horror for some reason. It's horrific. It's disturbing. But for I don't know. I don't know. Cause it, I definitely see calling it horror. It just is a little bit out there for me. I guess for me, I can think of movies that I found disturbing that I wouldn't classify as horror. Probably the best, most recent example I can think of personally is Don't Look Up, which I felt like I found that movie disturbing to watch, but I also would never call it horror. So I don't think that that's necessarily a movie being disturbing automatically makes it horror but of course the question then becomes why you found it disturbing so i think that's what it comes to at least for me with this movie is the things that are disturbing about it i think could be considered horror could make this film horror but that a film is disturbing doesn't necessarily get me there either i another movie that comes to mind too is um my goodness i it's a darren aronofsky film uh, oh requiem for a dream yeah, because I definitely oh, found yeah. that movie disturbing. But again, I, I wouldn't call that movie horror either, you know? I think that's because in in films that I would call disturbing but not horror, the characters do the terrible things to themselves somehow, where in a horror film, it is being done to them, and they can't stop it. You know another one I would put on that list is The Butterfly Effect with Ashton Kutcher in it. Have you ever seen that one? I've seen that one. I... I don't know. That one might be, we might have to talk about that one at some point, but I think in my head, just from a gut reaction, I would say that that one probably is a horror film, but I'm you not think so? 100%. I'm not 100%. I'd have to I don't think, think about so. it. But that's just me. I think over the course of doing this show, I always feel like off the cuff answers. Like, I feel like, yeah, you can train your gut reaction, you know, shout out to Malcolm Gladwell in the movie and his book Blink. I think you can train your gut reactions and there could be something there, but at least uh, I, I do like to analyze it to see if I still agree after dissecting it further. But yeah, my gut reaction on the butterfly effect is that I think that it is horror. Huh. See, I would call that one disturbing, but not horror. That's fair. I guess we have to do it now. I wish there was some sort of show where we could analyze that specific question about movies or media wouldn't that be nice lightning round (laughs) so getting into kind of just another idea with this too that i sort of want to explore a little bit is that at least in this movie they look at the seven deadly sins through at least a little bit more of a christian lens at least that seems to be how john doe is viewing it even though it's not necessarily associated with any one religion the seven deadly sins Really? I thought it was Catholic. Am I wrong? I thought it was Latin. Latin, Catholic, same thing. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think it came before 
Catholicism. I could be way wrong, though. I looked it up, and I don't remember the exact year, but the concept existed before Christianity specifically adopted it. But in any case, whether it is or it isn't, I think there's no argument here that John Doe is using it in a Christian sense. Um, You see crosses and things in the copy of the Bible and stuff in his apartment. Does it affect your genre classification that the killings have this religious motivation, or does that really matter at all in this context? I think it adds to it. Um, I think whenever you have a killer motivated by religious reasons, it kind of leans towards horror a lot of times, um, just because, I don't know, I think that uh, in these instances when religion is kind of taken out of context, it becomes almost like magical, mystical, mythological kind of area. And I do think that there, that, that lends kind of a supernatural element to the motivation. I don't know if that makes sense, but there you have it. I don't know. For me, the religious aspect of it, in a way, kind of, like, dates the film to an extent, just because I feel like you don't have these kind of religious-motivated killers in in quite that same way in movies and things like that today, just because I feel like there's sort of a little bit of a focus less of a focus on religion in media and films nowadays so that was interesting to see i don't know necessarily that it made it more or less horror but it just it kind of dated the film a little bit for me i think for me at least looking at this film the time period that it was made there was a little bit more of a tendency in the United States as a whole, to assume by default that someone's religious persuasion was Christian. Whereas I think, even though, you know, here we stand at least almost 30 years later from the release of this film initially, and I think that in the circles at least that I run in, there's less of a tendency to assume that by default anymore. So I can kind of see I'm not sure if that's necessarily what everyone's universal experience is within the United States, but I could kind of see how what you're saying that might date the film somewhat, because I I agree. I don't think it's exactly the kind of way that people look at things as much these days. Do you think switching, I guess, gears a little bit, that only being able to spend a limited time with John Doe as a character since we only meet him at the end and hear a little bit about his thought process at the end. Does that affect your classification? Is it, is it like a less is more situation where it actually helps things? Or if you'd spent more time with the, the killer throughout the film, you would have been more certain of the classification. I think it worked for me to not reveal who the killer was, especially that, you know, the person who was cast as the killer was like kind of a big name at the time. Um, that worked out well for me. I think there was enough of a tension build throughout like the first half before they revealed John Doe that it it was still enough for me to say that it is horror. I don't think that if it was in like a regular thriller or cop drama that they would have necessarily saved that. I think that in even in a cop drama, they would have showed like more of, I don't know, they may not have revealed his face, but they would have, like, shown his hands cutting out letters and pasting it on, you know, for a ransom note or some nonsense. That feels more like drama rather than horror to me. So I think that keeping the killer hidden until kind of the last moment made it worse. With what you're saying, like, I think uh, 
I think there is something to that as far as uh, the not revealing till the, till the end and that being more kind of more horror and having less screen time for the horror uh, for the for the bad guy. Because I agree, like in more like a, a buddy cop or a cop drama type thing, I feel like most of those it's like you've probably met the bad guy. You might not know that they're the bad guy yet. Um, but you, they've probably shown you him already. And then you have, then, you know, it's the mystery through the movie and, oh, oh, I didn't know it was Jerry. Oh, now, I don't know. Anyways. Okay, but hold up. I'm about to contradict myself for the sake of facts. We do actually meet the killer before he's revealed. He is the photographer in the stairwell at the crime scene who yells at Brad Pitt. It is true. Um, and I did think about that and I didn't. I guess I just didn't look at his face close enough. No, no. Well, I, I rewound the scene. Well, yeah, rewound. Listen to me. I backed up the scene a couple of times um, just to like see if you can actually see the actor's face. You really can't. And when we meet John Doe at the end, he does have his head shaved. He's all bloodied up. And like he's very much in his Clark Kent attire for that particular scene. So, yeah. I think one of the scenes that I liked a lot in this movie was the barroom scene between Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, where they're kind of talking about, philosophically to a degree, who John Doe is. And of course, you get Morgan Freeman dealing with the idea that he's he's obviously just a person and that he's just the sort of person that sometimes develops out of our, our desire for apathy and just trying to make sense of this world at least that's kind of what i get from his perspective on it and then of course brad pitt dismissing him as just crazy and morgan freeman's character just basically saying like you can't think about it like that because you're going to miss a lot if you just dismiss them entirely as just a psychopath so i think that when you do finally meet the killer that it works in this movie's benefit towards the concept of being horror is that it is a less is more situation. You only get to spend a little bit of time with a killer. It's a disturbing amount of time. You get a little bit of their philosophy, but you don't necessarily understand them, but you can still see that it's it's a human when it's all said and done. And I think that that can make things a bit more disturbing. Maybe I'm rambling a little bit here, but just the idea of it's not an easy answer to say that this is just a crazy person and that's it. It's to say that this is a person who devolved for whatever reason from their experience and made these choices. And I think that's always a little bit scarier because we want to be able to put horrifying, terrible things in a box that we feel safe about. And the movie doesn't really give us that. It specifically engineers the whole story through to take that away from us. At least I feel like it does. This movie taught me to not feel safe about things that are in a box. Exactly. Very true. So I did want to, we've, we've discussed this concept before, and I don't necessarily want to belabor the point, but I do think it's an interesting discussion all the same, is the idea that I think you see some people will look at something like this and say that it's not horror because there's nothing supernatural about it. So I guess just to bring up the topic once more, and we can all weigh in however we want to weigh in, uh, does the film have to have a supernatural element to be horror? Well, it's kind of like, you know, I prefer my tacos with cilantro, fresh, chopped, not diced. 
but it's still a taco without the spicy parsley. So not always, but I prefer it. I will make an exception for this movie, though. I don't think it needs to have supernatural in it. I think it's more likely to fall that way if it does have supernatural in it, but I don't think it's necessary. Yeah, that's pretty much exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, no, I don't think so either. I think this movie and like Silence of the Lambs are really good examples of things that can be horror but not supernatural. I think this would probably fall under psychological horror and body horror. And I think, at least for psychological horror, a lot of those movies don't have anything supernatural. It's, you know, based on realism, which makes it so scary. Another concept I've been thinking about a lot as far as horror goes, and maybe one that we, I think we've dealt with a little bit in the past, but maybe not as head on, is I think maybe one of the key factors to what makes something horror or not is that it's explores some of society's fears and i wanted to see if you guys felt like that was the case that a horror movie does need to explore some degree society's fears what do you think i think it doesn't hurt to do so i think that this movie especially kind of uh it likes to dig into you know the underbelly of urban existence like you know there are some places where some pretty unpleasant things happen on the daily and people get paid for it sometimes and sometimes they don't and it's just, yeah, I think I think it helps to set the tone a little bit. So I know that we talk a lot about Stephen King on this podcast, apparently, but uh, I think that one of the things that he does so masterfully is taking things that frighten us in real life and then heightening that. So like Danny Torrance being scared of seeing a woman coming out of the tub or seeing the the hedge animals moving uh things that maybe play into like childhood fears i always feel like horror that that goes into those sort of things is some of the best horror like the grudge like you go under the sheets but then the creature comes at you still from under the sheets and pulls you in so things that that frighten us and then focusing on the things that make you feel safe when you're frightened now are unsafe. So I do think that that it's not necessarily that that 100% needs to be that way for something to be horror, but I think some of the best horror does do it. Do you think that's part of what this film is then doing is basically taking something that we normally because humans are social creatures we exist within a social framework that's how we've evolved is the people that stayed with the pack survived longer right so that's who we are so is this what this movie's doing is sitting there and saying that other people aren't safe we don't know what goes on with other people and they frankly might not care enough to help us if something does go wrong is that the fear that this is playing off of? Is that the thing that makes us feel unsafe after we've turned off this movie and walked away from it? I kind of feel like I didn't walk away from this movie being frightened that of anything or like thinking 
I don't know, maybe somebody else will have a different experience, but I, I feel like this movie didn't specifically make me feel like, oh, that is a situation that's relatable, and now I'm more worried about that situation in my own real life, so much as like something like The Grudge as a child made me like, okay, well, now I'm scared of showering. Uh, <laughs> so, like, I don't think that's specifically how this movie was intending to make, like, I don't think it was specifically intending to make you feel any type of way about normal life situations or normal fear, fears that you have. I think if there is something, at least for me, like the thing that I ended up like being like, okay, well, that's a relatable fear or that's a, maybe a, maybe a societal fear. I don't know. Maybe I'm projecting, but like, uh, it's a, like zealousness and like in this movie, you know, John Doe is a zealot for the, you know, Christian, Christian religion or the seven deadly sins more specifically, um, and I'm not necessarily directly afraid of that, but I feel like that type of thing is a thing that I, that I worry about. It's, you know, people getting so entrenched in their, in their, whatever their belief is that they go to extremes and do things that are <laughs> terrible and get people hurt, get people killed. Uh, and that's something that, I feel like is relatable to the world, whatever that those things might be. That's a really good point that I hadn't thought about because there are some groups today that I'm sure you can think of that have very extreme views of the way things should be. The one that we see a lot in media right now is, is about to get deep. The one that we see a lot in media right now is like the incel fad that's going on on the internet that's been going on for like 20 years that has caused all of these disgruntled young men to commit these crimes against women and I don't think that people realize how terrifying it is for women to read those kind of things and to see how people think and how violent people's thoughts can really be and to also know that you're a potential target exactly yeah, it's like anytime you have any sort of ideology that radicalizes a person to the point of dehumanizing a person or a group in their head, you know, it's always scary because as soon as you can convince yourself that someone else is less of a person than you are, then that starts to give you license to treat them increasingly in horrific ways. Well, I was just going to say when I was talking about how the societal fears that this movie might provoke uh, and thinking that it's subjective. I feel like a lot of times, particularly since women tend to be uh, victimized in a lot of these ways or similar ways to in the movies that maybe uh, women would f find more relatable fears in a movie like this. I know that, uh, in talking with some of the women that I know in my life that films like slashers, for example, will tend to be more relatable or cause more fear because, uh, that's something that a lot of women live in fear of a lot more than the male experience would go through. I guess to 
sort of wrap up just the discussion of this film in general, whether we're talking about it being horror or not. Do you feel like there's anything to be hopeful about at the end of this film? Obviously, we end on this very dark note. John Doe has executed his plan. He's basically won despite being killed at the end. But do you feel like there's any sort of hopeful note for you in thinking about any of all of this? Um, What have we learned from this? (laughs) We have learned that Somerset should have retired five days early. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I have a hard time seeing any, like silver lining or any hopeful message at the end like i mean there's uh you know somerset's line of like well i'll be around like i but that's vague and you know what what does that mean and i guess that's cool that he's around but i'm not sure that there's a lesson learned necessarily no i think that's the noir part uh, of this too is that it the ending is just so bleak you know the bad guy definitely wins here yeah i guess i look at it like yeah maybe it's just them adding almost a studio thing to have that last line quoted where you know he's saying the world's a fine place and worth fighting for and then somerset says he agrees with the second part and i guess sort of just saying to myself well i guess at least at the very least he still feels it's worth fighting for there's still something to fight for in all of that. I don't know. Maybe that's me just trying to look for some kind of silver lining with all of it. But the other thing too, I guess just for the hell of it, do you feel like, uh, cause, cause I was thinking about this ending. So of course the ending is supposed to make you think, you know, Brad Pitt, he, he kills John Doe. And so of course they're going to have to arrest him and they're going to have to put him in jail for murder. But, you know, you watch so many other cop movies or, you know, see cop situations where it's like, okay, well, the cop murdered somebody and then his buddy's all covered up and then that's that. So I guess in my head, I was kind of like, I could see this going in such a way that uh, everyone there is willing to write off like, oh, well, he tried to run or something or they're, you know, write it off like there was some reasonable expectation for why we shot him. I feel like this could end without Brad Pitt's character going to jail. I don't know. What do you guys think? Are you trying to say that someone on the police force would be willing to falsify records to protect one of their own? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god, the scandal that's unheard of. We've never heard of that. That would never happen. Because I really don't see Mills going to jail for this, because they already know the SWAT team's a little bit on the dirty side anyway, and then I don't know if Somerset wants Mills on the force still after this. Not that he's, you know, like thinks he's a terrible human being or anything i think he fully understands of course but i just feel like everyone who was there to witness this would probably be more than happy to keep mills out of jail yeah i don't think he's spending too long in jail at all another mandela effect thing that i had was that i i totally could swear that he shot himself in the end really and it it almost felt incomplete that he didn't because that's one deadly sin is still left alive. Well, that's like one way to stop John Doe from winning is that the seven deadly sins are supposed to be deadly. So if you keep wrath out of prison, you keep wrath alive, then that's the best way that you can at this point to keep John Doe from entirely winning, right? Maybe that's the maybe that's the message. That wrath lives among us all the time. Wow, so deep. <laughs> Hashtag deep. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Well, and then my 
I guess final question on all this then is that we don't normally necessarily have this conversation involved with any of the movies that we're talking about, whether they're horror or not. But I just wanted to see, like, did you like this movie? Uh, Do you think it was a good movie? Would you recommend it to others? Yeah, I think this was a really uncomfortable, um, gross, screamy, like psychologically twisty ride. I, I give it 10 out of 10 stars. It's one of my favorite 90s films. Uh, it was it was good and well done, and I didn't like it. So <laughs> take that for what it's worth, I guess. I could instantly tell watching this that this was this is like a cult classic kind of film, and I liked it. I could see myself rewatching it. I'm surprised that I have never seen it, especially with how memey that gif is of what's in the what's in the box kind of a thing. Uh, so now I can participate in the meme. So I liked it. Yeah, I like Seven. It's very interesting. I would recommend it to a select few people who also are interested in the dark and gritty. Also, can we shout out to the soundtrack? Like, this had Trent Reznor slash Nine Inch Nails oh, things. True. It had Gravity Kills. It had David Bowie in the end credits. Like... It was good. It was really good. And just the the general score of it with like I said the brassy noir like The score is really oh, good. Beautiful. I believe you can get it on streaming like probably like a Spotify Pandora kind of deal. Like the actual score is really beautiful. <laughs> and I'm not usually one for in, like instrumental score things necessarily, but it's good. I do really enjoy this movie. I think that I've spent a lot more time just out of the fact that we're doing this podcast thinking about it than I have the other times that I've watched it and just kind of trying to get at what I felt like the writer and director were trying to say by the film, what messages could be taken away from it, what it says about people. If I agree with it says about people, but all of those things, I think that it's, it is a dark film, but it's also a very thoughtful film. And I think that it's definitely one that is worth watching. I wouldn't recommend it to everybody but yeah, I think I think it's a really good movie and I think there's some really good dialogue in it. I, I think it's really well written. I I do agree with that. I think it's well written and I you know I didn't like it for various reasons. In I don't know. It's sort of a I liked it but I hated it at the same time. And that's just be maybe because of how dark it was. One little thing that bothered me about it, uh And this is, I understand this is like coming from like already knowing what's happening. Like I knew what was in the box. I knew that his wife's head was in the box at the end. But like one thing that bothered me about this was like in like the middle of the film, you find out or the the detectives find out that John Doe is tracking them. Like he knows who they are. They find pictures of themselves in his apartment and they don't do anything about it. Like they don't, (laughs) they're just like, oh, well, like. So it just bothered me that, like, you're telling me they knew. You're telling me they knew that John Doe knew who they were. Like, I don't know. That bothered me. The other thing I think about, too, in terms of that ending as well is, like, this basically is, you know, part of the reason that it's seven as well is that it basically happens over seven days, right? Or at least I think that's just about there. But the point being this, he spent a year with the one guy tied up to have the sin of sloth 
But then what was his end game for Envy and Wrath since he met Somerset or met Mills rather just that week within just not even at the beginning of the week. Like he just figured out who Mills was that week. And was he just like sitting there like, oh, I'm so glad I'm envious of this guy because I didn't know how to finish this thing. I hope he'll be really mad and he'll be wrath. That's awesome. But it's like you had this whole thing planned out. But it feels like the two final set, you know, deadly sins were just by the seat of his pants. He managed to find them. So the only thing I could think of in looking back on this is that maybe he had two other ideas, two other people that those last deadly sins should have been, but it just, this worked out better in his mind, but I don't know. It just, it feels all this planning. And then those two really just came together over the last week. Yeah. It takes away a little bit from the feeling of he had this master plan. I mean, what was he going to do if he looked at both of the lives of the detectives and wasn't envious of either one? <laughs> like, what was he going to do? Anyhow. All right, I will say that I think I've been won over. I'm going to go ahead and change my not horror to horror for this film. <laughs> I'm victorious. <laughs> we both win. Yay! All right, well, thanks for joining us for another episode of Is It Horror? In two weeks, we are going to be covering a classic. We're going to be talking about Jaws. And uh, I have been Steve. And I'm Brianna. I'm Joe. I'm grateful to be on episode 27. And I'm Greed. <laughs> Bye. 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 Thanks for joining us at Is It Horror? We post new episodes every other Friday. Think we didn't give this movie a fair shake? Think we missed something? Do you have a suggestion for future episodes? Or did you just want to say hi? If so, you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at IsItHorrorPod, or you can email us at IsItHorrorPodcast at gmail.com. In the meantime, stay safe and keep asking yourself, Is It Horror?